Go ahead and open your Bibles up to Colossians chapter 1, please. I want to thank many of you for your ministry to my family this last week. I've received uh, many emails and texts and Facebooks. Uh, and uh, I want to thank you so much for the care that you have exhibited towards us. Uh, it's been uh, it's been very um, very trying, and um, you uh, you know you know there's there's a couple uh, that, well there's there's more than a couple but there's a, there's a couple of phone calls I guess in your life that you never want to receive um, you know. One is that your your parents have passed on. I've received those those calls. It's been very difficult. But the one the one call that you don't ever want to receive in your life would be the call that your your wife is on the other end and says you need to come quick because uh, we've been in an accident and our kids are hurt. And um, that put that put me to my knees in my home last weekend, and uh, I began wailing. And um, crying out to the Lord. But you know what I want you to know? Is that I had a Lord to cry to. Right? I have a hope. To wail to. And that hope is rock solid. True? 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 And I just wanted you to know that what one of the things that as we talk about what we're going to talk about today, as we get into talking about Colossians, and one of the things that I was deeply reminded of this last week is how absolutely fragile our lives are and how many times suffering in our lives really causes us, causes so many good things. And you know, some of the good things that suffering causes is it actually pushes you to start asking questions that you don't normally ask in the normal course of your existence. Because our lives are so busy and so crazy and, and so, so nutso that we, we don't ever get ourselves to the point where we're distilled enough and, and quiet enough and small enough to really ask the important questions. And the scriptures, I want you to know that this, 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 a lot of these scriptures here that we're going to be dealing with in Colossians, they answer a lot of these questions that we have. If we'll stop long enough to ask them, is the key for us. I want you to look here in Colossians chapter 1. And there's, a, there's, there's three things that I want to pick out today as we begin to work through this book. Paul here is talking to a very young church, and this is a church that has just kind of come into its own, and, and uh, they are kind of wondering what it means to live and to act out their faith in this world, as many of us here do. We wonder about those things. And uh, there's a few things that I really wanted to pick up this week with you and talk with you about. And the first, that I want, the first thing I want to talk with you about is, look there at verse 3 of Colossians chapter uh, 1 where Paul says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. And I thought about the, the, the concept of what, was it look, what do, would it look like to always be praying in my life. I'll come back to that in a minute. 
But I want you to look down there too, and we're going to see, we're going to really talk about verse nine and ten specifically this morning. Look where it says in verse nine. For this reason, look what it says: since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. In fact, in Colossians four two, it says, "Continue steadfastly in prayer and being watchful in it with thanksgiving." And I began to ask myself the question this last week. It's a good question for all of us to consider. And it, the question is, what are we, quote unquote, always doing? You ever had your wife or your husband look at you and say, you always do that, right? You ever had your friend say that? You're always doing that. One of the things I try to help out with our couple my, and some of my real great friends that come in and talk with me for their, about their marriage is I try to keep them from using the terms always and never because they disengage pro- the process of listening to each other. You know, I can say you always do that, which basically means you're just a total poophead. You know, I mean, you're just you're just gone. Forget it. You know, you all are you you never clean the kitchen. You, you know, good grief. I did four months ago. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's not like never, you know, right? But we use these words. Well, Paul's using this word when he says you, we, we are always praying for you. We're praying without ceasing. And I began to think about this concept of what are we always doing, especially as life confronts us like it did me this last week. What are we always doing? Are we, would we say this about our lives? Are we always worrying? What about this? Are we always complaining? Are we always thinking about the future? Are we always finding what's wrong? Men are real good at that. We're really great at being, I've told you about that before, where we love to find out what's wrong and then offer solutions. We're always offering solutions to fix it. Are we always fearful? Are we always angry? What are you always? When life really hits us and suffering really comes, what do we always do? For instance, in the situation that you find yourself in right now, maybe some certain difficulty, what do you always do? What's what's your default mechanism? Do you always go to your friends and complain? Do you always feel sorry for yourself and go to the park and smoke something really fun? Oh boy, yeah, that was said. Is that what you always do? What you always do is an indicator of probably some sort of spiritual, well, truth that you've arrived at, something that you believe will help you in your situation of always. And the interesting thing about what Paul is saying here, Paul's in prison writing this letter. And he says this, we are always praying for you. Always praying for you. Why should we always be praying Why should we pray? If God's sovereign and God knows everything, then why should we pray? 
What do you think? Ah, because we can. What else? What's that? Keep us connected. Good. Exhibit the fact we love Him, sure. You know, I think that we all have a really great gift. And I think you have it along with I. And the gift is we're holy forgetters. We forget. We forget. We just forget about the Lord. We forget about His Son. We forget about the cross. We forget about our hope. That's what, that's what, obviously, that time from last Saturday took me into. It took me to that place of distilling life, and the drip came down, and I really had to grab onto what was my hope. So prayer, you see, in this situation, prayer is deeply connected to our hope. Prayer is actually the thing that takes us into the thing we hope for. I want to share it with you a clip this morning from one of my favorite movies, uh, you've all seen it before, but it, it, it's called the Shawshank Redemption. And I want to I want to I want to share this clip with you because it has a lot to say about hope. And then I want to dialogue a little bit. This is right in the part of the movie where Andy Dufresne gets ends up coming back from solitary confinement, and he had been put into solitary because he went into the what is it the warden's office or whatever it was, and he played music. For the prisoners, and and as he's playing this music, he locks the doors, and they couldn't get to him, and he just kind of took it, right? He just this was going to be his moment where he was just going to do this for everybody, for himself and everybody else. This is his moment where he comes back out of solitary to talk with uh, his buddies. Go ahead. Is hope a dangerous thing? Come on. What's that? Okay. Would it be true if I were to say this statement, that hope is the very music of the gospel that's in here and in here? Would that be a true statement? I think so. Would it also be true that there's many of us in here that have the living hope living inside of our lives but for some reason we are like red and that hope is very cynical, pushed down and doesn't really exist. In other words, hope could actually be the worst of things, the most dangerous of things. Would that be true of many of us in our Christian lives? Yes? Mm-hmm. Possibly. But when we're going to pray, you see, what we're doing is is we are going to our living hope. We're going and we're announcing to our hearts that we don't want to forget anymore, that we want to remember that we have a Lord that is alive and well and is big and is strong and is sure in this crazy world that we live in that he was talking about. In many ways, we do live in the kind of these crazy confines of a prison. Is it not true? That we know that there's nothing can come against that hope. Do you know that that's a very biblical principle about our biblical hope, our hope in the Lord? Tell me, tell me something this morning. Do you have a hope? Is the content of your hope in the cross of Jesus Christ? Is He your hope? 
What's your hope? Paul talks a lot about the three friends all the way through the epistles, and the three friends that he talks often about are faith, what? Hope, and what's the next one? Love. So the first thing that I wanted us to share, to talk about this morning, is I wanted you to be thinking about connecting your hope with your prayers. Pray always. Pray with your wife. Pray with your husband. Pray with your children. Last night, uh, my uh, in-laws were in town, Shelley's folks, and deeply, deeply love the Lord. People that are just rock solid. And she had, they left this morning to go back to Michigan. They came down last week, spent a week with us in the accident just to help us and love us. And do you know, do you know what grandma decided to do last night with all the kids? She decided to pull them into a separate room in our home and she decided to pray with them individually. That really deeply ministered to me because I want them to know that that's our only hope. Remember that in little Star Wars? Where Princess Leia's on that little deal and she goes, Help me, Obi-Wan, you're our only hope. That's kind of how I felt this week. Like this little tiny hieroglyphic whatever it is. Help me, Lord, you're my only hope. Do you believe that? Do you believe that even in the midst of your of the craziness of your life? Is Jesus your only hope? It's a good question for us. So prayer is always connected to hope. And I love the fact that Paul says here that we're always doing this. We're always praying. We always are praying for you. I love this. And now let's go on to what number two would be the content of Paul's prayer. Look there in verse 9. I love this. For this reason, look what he says, since the day we heard about you, we have not, and we talked about this just a second ago, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God, this is the content of the prayer, look what it says, and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So Paul's prayer is asking God to fill you with the knowledge of His will. And this is a good, yeah, I I guess I would say what formula, we hate to use that word, but it's a good way to pray, to pray for God's will, that you would be filled with God's will. Asking God to fill you with the knowledge of His will. The great object of prayer is to know the will of God. That's one of the reasons why we pray, is to not only get connected with our hope, but to know the actual will of God. And in prayer, and I'll make sure you know this now, in prayer we are not trying to persuade God to do what, to do what we want Him to do. No, we are trying to find out what He wants us to do. Do you see how inverted that is? Let me say that again. We are not trying to persuade God to do what we want Him to do. No, we are trying to find out what He wants us to do. I read a quote this last week where a man said, God is trivialized whenever we enlist His support to aid our causes. And many times I think that's the kind of God that many of us have. If we fall into problems or issues or whatever the case may be, we go to the Lord to help Him in our causes. 
we may want to go to the Lord and say, Lord, what is your cause? And how can I come along and help you on the journey? Help me to help. Help me to move. What are you doing? How can I get involved in what you're doing? In prayer, we are not so much trying to make God listen to us. No, we are trying to make ourselves listen to God. Did you hear what I just said? That's inverted. We're not trying to get God to listen to us. By the way, we have Abba Father who calls us sons and daughters. You are in the house if you're in Christ. Okay? God wants to listen to His children. He's not out on the back porch reading the newspaper and disinterested about your life. He's very interested about your life. You're in the house. You have access. You have rights. You have an inheritance. You have a loving Abba Father who cares deeply about you, daughter and son. It's important that you get that. But in prayer, I think many times what we're trying to do is we're trying to make ourselves actually listen to God. Which means, probably for you, it does for me, I've got to slow down my life long enough to listen to the Lord. When was the last time we've done this? Do you stop in your life to take time out to listen to your Father? To listen to the, to the songs that He wants to sing? To listen to the hard things He wants to say? We're not good listeners, are we? When I talk with many folks, it seems like, and I'm, I'm one of them, it seems like we don't like to listen, we just like to tell people what we believe. We like to tell people what's right. It seems like whenever we get into a conflict, we don't want to listen to the other person, we just want to tell them how wrong they are and how right we are. That's called selfishness. And I do it all the time. It's called pride. And I do it all the time. There's a big difference many times in our relationships between listening to people and hearing actually what they're saying. Have you ever been in a conversation with somebody where you're talking to them and all you're thinking they're doing is waiting for the next little breath in the conversation so that they can tell you what they believe? That's not listening. That's not hearing And a part of the content of our prayer here is this idea that we would actually listen to the Lord. In your prayers this next week, this is interesting, because these are some of the questions. These are some of the questions that emerged this last week out of of the hospital for me that I want to share with you, that as I was praying... I was asking myself a couple of questions before the Lord, and I wanted the Lord to answer these questions. And here are a couple of them that I really want to advise you and maybe counsel you, coach you to ask these questions this next week as you pray. Here's one of them. What do I love? Is there something that I love more than God or my neighbor? What do I seek? No, this is like like the real questions. Would you not answer at the men's Bible study, or whatever? This is like how you, what you really feel about this. What do I seek? What am I working hard for in my life? Is it worth it? 
When you begin to ask these questions with your Lord, especially in a, a state of prayer and wanting to, the Lord to answer those questions for you, you're not going to like the answers. I'm just telling you right now. What am I working hard for? Where do I bank my hopes? What hope am I working toward or building my life around? What makes me tick? Where do I find my garden of delight? What food sustains my soul? What really matters to me? Where do I find refuge? Where do I find safety? Where do I find my comfort? Where do I escape to? What do I fear? Here's an interesting thing for all of us fear lovers. I want you to know, know this about fear. Fear is usually the flip side of desire. For example, if I desire acceptance, then I will fear rejection. Do you get it? It usually works that way. Those are good questions for us to ask as we pray. Lord, I want to know your will. I want to listen to what you have to say. What is it that you're doing? Paul prays for, along with God's will. Remember, as he's praying, this is a spiritual thing. He's praying to the Lord, Lord, I want to know what you're about. I want to know spiritual wisdom. I want to know spiritual understanding. Listen to what Larry Crabb has to say as he deals with this issue of wanting this this issue of wanting to be the spiritual person. He's really he's really coming into conflict with some things in his life about I think where many times where exactly we're at as well. I wanted you to hear this. Right now, as I write these words, it's a little past 6 a.m. and later this morning. <clears throat> excuse me. I will sit with a man whose wife last week announced her intention to divorce him after 14 years of marriage and to claim custody of their three small children. He is scared, enraged, and desperate. We have spoken once already. Two days after his wife made known to him her plans, his pain is real. The idea of visiting his children is more than he can bear. And when I meet with him in a few hours, what will it mean for us to experience spiritual community? What will it mean to be together for, for the deep places in our redeemed hearts to meet? And what will it mean to move, to move toward Christ? What will it mean for each of us to be stirred to see where life is found when circumstances are hard? To depend on spiritual resources, as Paul's praying here. God's will, spiritual wisdom and understanding. To depend on spiritual resources to experience that life and to find within ourselves an overwhelming desire to enjoy the indestructible life of Christ that survives every trial. As I meet with this distressed husband, I, I want to be in the stream of God's purposes throughout history. Purposes that run through this difficult moment but are neither limited to or thwarted by it. And I want to invite him to join me. With humbling force, it occurs to me that if anything good happens in our conversation, it will have more to do with who I am than what I can do. More to do with whether I listen to and follow the Spirit than whether I remember my training and use my professional skills. My life in the Spirit matters more than my counseling talent. 
And then he says this, have I prayed? Have I been still enough and honest enough and passionate enough to hear God? Think about that. That's what Paul's saying. Paul is saying that our prayers to come together to say for the Colossians people, I pray that you would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. I pray that you would have spiritual wisdom. I pray that you would have spiritual understanding. Is Paul saying that's the only hope that we have to help each other? That's what, that's what Crab basically is saying, what Paul's saying. The only hope we have is spiritual resources. God's will, what are you wanting to do? Spiritual wisdom. I've challenged you about this before, but I want to challenge you about it again. Are you in trouble, my sister? Are you in trouble, my brother? Don't, don't for one minute think that you shouldn't stop in your life and absolutely get on your knees before your holy God and lay it all out. Say that you're my only hope and I need everything that you are. I need supernatural, spiritual resources to even deal with this situation right now. That's where it's at. Even when I get together with you, even when you get together with a friend, even when we're in our little koinonia groups, the hope there isn't to get these cute little fix-it answers and to eat good food and pray a prayer and be dismissed. The hope is a living God who wants to do a miraculous, supernatural, spiritual thing in our lives. Right? It's important that we gather that and we get that. The last thing I want to talk with you about this morning is this piece here. Look in in verse 10. I'll finish with this. So Paul says this. Look, this is the content of his prayer. This is what we should be praying this week. We shouldn't stop praying it either, like I talked with you about. Stop praying for you. Ask God, asking God to fill you. Look at that, that it, the issue of filling you with the knowledge of His will. This is the content of His prayer through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then look what He says. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord. Well, that doesn't make me feel good. Because I feel, I was telling some folks this last week, I feel very unworthy as I think about living a life worthy of the Lord. In the ESV version, it basically says, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And I just want you to know and clear this up for you this morning that this does not mean to walk so that one becomes worthy of the Lord or His salvation. That's, that's not what we're talking about here. The idea of living a life or walking in a manner worthy of the Lord is that it is consistent with and conforms to what God has done for us in Christ. The aim of knowing God's will and gaining spiritual wisdom and understanding is so that we can actually live and walk a holy life. Do you get that? It's not something we talk a lot about. We don't like to talk a lot about conduct because we're good Presbyterians. We talk well about grace. And we, God forbid, that we would ever talk about conduct or law. But the fact of the matter is, is that a holy life emanates, is supposed to beautifully emanate out of a relationship with the holy God. 
there is a path for us to follow as we think about following Jesus in our daily lives, in our work lives, in our home lives. God does have a path. He does have a way for us to navigate. I was in Colorado. I don't know if I told you this story, but I decided one day that I was going to head up to a high mountain lake and I was going to go fishing, trout fishing. And I did something that I wasn't supposed to do, go by myself. And I had a Smith & Wesson Model 60 handgun with me. And I put it in the bottom of my backpack and put all my other clothes in there and put it on my back and headed up at about 5.30 in the morning. This is out in like the wilds of Colorado. And I go by walking by this path. I'm about two hours up. And I hear this. And I go, there is no way that that's a bear right now. There's no possible way, Lord, that that's a bear right now in these woods. What a stupid prayer. There's no way there could possibly be a bear right now as I'm walking along by myself in Colorado in these woods. And I began to think about things like, where's my gun? That's just one of the first things that I thought of. It's a natural thing to think about because you could think that your life is going to end any second. And I realized what a ridiculous thing that I had done. I had put my gun in the bottom of the backpack. And so what a nice meal for the bear. As I'm searching for the gun in the backpack, he can come and take a big old giant bite of flesh. And I realized that the gun was there, and so then I realized I, I, then I made the second mistake, which is something that you don't do in bear country when there's a possible bear. Just let me help you, give you this advice. You don't run. <laughs> you're not supposed to run. Well, what do you mean you're not supposed to run? You, you, know, you, say, you say you're supposed to be there and you're supposed to act big. Are you kidding me? I didn't have the guts I didn't have the thought to act big. I just had the thoughts of running as fast as I can. And I had remembered just at that time, I began to run really fast, as hard as I could with the backpack, that my, my one of my guides who had been up there like all the time with these people said, Joel, make sure when you take the fork on the road that the left one that you go on, when you go on the left one, okay, it's going to be shorter to the top, but they found some, they saw some bears up there. Make sure you take the right path a little longer, but it'll be better for you. Guess what I did? Yes, that's right. You've, you're, you know the story. I was a left pather. And isn't that ever indicative of my life? A left path versus the right path that I should have taken. Isn't that indicative of us? The idea that, 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 uh, that Paul's getting to here is the idea that we actually do walk a path. That God has paths for us to walk. And many of those paths that God has for us to walk are usually right paths. But we're so willful, we think we can handle the life and everything else that we're going to take the left path because we love shortcuts, right? Listen to what uh, uh, Proverbs says. It says, make level paths for your feet and take only ways that are firm. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Keep your foot from evil. Hey guys, we need to hear that, don't we? 
Hey, guys, we need to hear that, that scripture. So there's this idea that as we pray, and as we pray for God's will and spiritual wisdom, and as we pray for understanding, that actually that would fill us to the point where God allows us to be, what, holy in our conduct as we walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, as we walk through life. And then we're going to hit on the rest of that verse, because next week we'll talk about what it means to walk worthy, because it, it goes down there and says, pleasing God in every way, bearing fruit being strengthened. We'll talk about that next week. Hope that helps today. Pray with me. Lord, thank you uh, for your word. I know it helps me today to even hear that you're my only hope. You're our only hope. Lord, I, I pray that we would not depend so much on our own resources and our intellectual understanding or training. Or I pray, Lord, we would come to you as children who need everything that you have for us. I pray that we would be seekers of your, of your will. I pray that we would want to know it. I pray, Lord, that we would want to have spiritual wisdom as we navigate through the, the craziness of our lives, our marriages, our jobs. Lord, we need that. We need to be spiritual people. Convict us, help us, strengthen us, Give us the peace to walk in this way that you've outlined in your scripture. We thank you in your name. Amen.